This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 3rd of September 2021. And what a week, Tegan. Yeah, it's been a real roller coaster of emotions and also a roller coaster of case numbers, although I suppose it's the part of the roller coaster where you're still going up, uh, unfortunately. And amidst all of the the lockdowns and case numbers, there's been this real push for people to get vaccinated, which is absolutely 100% what we should be doing. But people are asking questions about whether we need boosters and how often we might need them. And there's actually, now that we're more than 18 months into this pandemic, there's actually a bit more data than there was before about what the future might look like in terms of how frequently you're going to need to get a COVID-19 shot. Yeah. And and, this, and just to set the scene here, we spoke about this last week, last year on Coronacast. And people were asking last year, well, how often were you going to get immunised? And what the experts were saying at that point was, well, we don't know, but it will become obvious as time goes on as to whether or not you do indeed get breakthrough infections. That's what they kind of look for. And now we're seeing it and getting a much stronger idea of what you need to do to fully immunise in the long term. So the first data came in and it was from Israel showing month-by-month decline in immunity and antibodies in people who've been immunised and they instituted a, a booster regime. And now there's a really good paper. Well, it's not a paper, it's more of a letter to the editor at the, in the New England Journal of Medicine of this week. Um, came out yesterday and it, it was um, the University of California, San Diego Health System. They were looking at their workforce So they've had a very strict regime of testing their workforce and they know when they got immunised and they were able to track infections relative to their immunisation status relative to month of the year. So from the beginning of the year, thereabouts, they were immunising their healthcare staff and they could track how long it was from the time they got immunised to when they may or may not have got infected. And what they showed was that um, depending on when they were immunised, Indeed, they had a lower or higher risk of being infected with SARS-CoV-2, with the COVID-19 vaccine. So vaccine effectiveness was up around 90% from March through to June, um, and that's against all symptoms, and fell to 65% in July. And so, and if you look at the attack rate... What do you mean by attack rate? So this is, you know, for every 1,000 persons um, immunised, how many actually had a breakthrough infection? So it was 6.7 per thousand if you were immunised January or February of this year. But that dropped to 3.7 per thousand who completed their vaccinations from March through to May. So that's a pretty dramatic. So that's almost half half the immunity, if you like, from January and February through to March and May. How does this compare to unvaccinated people? So the the July attack rate for unvaccinated people was 16.4 per thousand people. So unvaccinated people were still the dominant group getting getting infected, but there was this increase in breakthrough during that time. So it it really is quite good and accurate data in terms of the breakthrough risk and shows that it's falling off at, at about six months, similar to the really falling off at about six months, similar to the Israeli data. Okay, but like, so this is healthcare workers. It's important to know, especially in this group, if they're having breakthrough infections, because they could presumably pass it on to their patients who are probably higher risk. But Eric Topol, who's a real expert in this area from the States, makes the point on Twitter that it's not 
are waning in protection from hospitalisation or deaths. It's still, the vaccines are still quite effective at protecting against those really severe end of the spectrum beyond the six-month mark. It's just other symptomatic breakthrough. Yeah, this was not a group of people who got terribly sick. Um, the other comment made by the authors from the University of California, San Diego, was that there is another variable here, which is the variant. So the Delta variant in its own right is probably a bit vaccine resistant. So it's a combination of the two, waning immunity and the Delta variant. So at the beginning, we promised we'd talk about boosters. And let's talk about that because we know that when we show the immune system a pathogen once in the form of a vaccine, it it starts to learn. And if you show it again, it learns a bit more. And every time it gets exposed to that thing, it actually provides a stronger protection. And so people are wondering whether booster vaccines are important at this stage. And there are some countries that are starting to do this, including Israel. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a non-peer-reviewed, or in other words, a preprint paper. So take it in that vein that it hasn't been scrutinized by their peers yet, but from Israel, which looks at the early data from their booster campaign, which really only started a few weeks ago. But already they're showing signs that after, you know, 7 to 13 days after the booster shot, there's approximately a 50% reduction in the odds of testing positive for the COVID-19 virus. That went up 14 to 20 days. In other words, up say around three weeks, two to three weeks after the booster, the effectiveness increased to um, anywhere between 70 and 84%. So that's showing that at least preliminary data that the booster is having the desired effect in terms of testing positive. Now, remember, these vaccines are not exquisitely designed to prevent infection. They're there to, des- they're there to prevent severe disease. But if you're trying to control an, uh, an epidemic and you're certainly trying to solve the problem of healthcare workers uh, getting infected, then, you, um, then this is really important. It's not like these COVID vaccines are the first vaccines that require or may require three doses. No, hepatitis B, um, human papillomavirus, even the triple antigen in, in, in infancy. So there's lots of va- there's several vaccines that require more than one and up to three. If we'd had more time to sort out the absolute right dose, which we didn't because it was a pandemic and we had to get effective vaccines out onto the market, it may well be that Astra and Pfizer would have ended up being three dose vaccines, maybe like the other one, six or eight weeks apart. We're not in that situation. We didn't have that luxury. It's not a safety issue. It's an effectiveness issue. So it's really likely these are actually three-dose vaccines. So, I mean, in in Australia, there are people who got their initial vaccines in around this time frame ago. What does it mean for our ability to control the virus here? Well, if you want to stay ahead of the curve and not see a lot of breakthrough infections, which is really critical in terms of our healthcare facilities, our border control, hotel quarantine, and so on, uh, we really want to maximise their protection against infection, in addition to masks and ventilation and all the other things that you do, then round about now, actually, you're you're going to start seeing the first wave of people needing to have booster shots. And we should really stay ahead of the curve there. Um, Whether we've got the supply to deal with that is another matter, but you, you could see, start to see breakthrough infections in our healthcare workers and our frontline workers on the borders. We obviously want to protect Australians and it's the job of the Australian government to protect Australians, but is it a bit greedy at a global level for wealthy, well-resourced countries to keep giving more vaccines to their citizens when other countries haven't been able to give the first round out? Like the World Health Organisation has urged countries a couple of times now to hold off on giving out third doses while there are still so many places that haven't been able to do that initial vaccine rollout yet. 
It's a really difficult question. If it's, but the issue is, is it really emerging that these are truly three dose vaccines, and so they should be three dose vaccines for low income countries as well. We've got to deal with that now. If you actually look at March last year, I think six hundred thousand vaccine doses were administered to healthcare workers. Well, over the next say six or eight weeks, that's not going to break the bank with new supplies coming in. You know, it's a rolling thing. It's not a sudden thing in terms of supply here. We should be able to deal with it with the existing supply regime. But yes, there's a huge issue in terms of low-income countries, but they're going to need three doses as well, probably over a period of time. Well, here in Australia, we've still got a fair way to go before we get to these 70% and 80% of the population over 16 thresholds that have been laid out by the government. But we passed a pretty cool milestone yesterday, 20 million vaccine doses delivered Australia-wide. Yeah, it's fantastic um, how we're going here and we're really rattling on. Um, more and more epidemiologists are saying that the real the magic number is probably more like 90% we should be aiming for rather than 80%. And there has been some disturbing data from the University of Sydney, which we had on 7.30 last night, which is that if we're not careful when we open up at 80% and not highly tar- targeted, so we're sure that Aboriginal communities, disadvantaged groups, are well immunised within that average, we could get a real blowout and surge of cases really to quite high levels. So it's it's opening up at 80% injudiciously will create a surge according to the modelling at the University of Sydney. And I think most modellers, even Doherty, predicts a surge. It's just a question of the implications of that surge if a lot of us are are immunised and are many people going to come to harm. We've still got a substantial unvaccinated population at effectively what 65% of the total population immunised, which is equivalent to 80% of the adult population over 16. Norman, I just feel like I keep giving you opportunities to give us good news and you just continue to give me bad news and I want my money back. Um, No, no, I I, I resist giving you your money back um, (laughs) because it's all about getting ready and it's all about immunising the vulnerable communities so that 80% is not just this broad average 80% is reflected across all populations in Australia, especially over 70s. So over 70s, they've got to be 90, 95% vaccinated. And and we'll see relatively few hospitalizations and deaths if we really do target the vulnerable in the community. And younger people get the Astra into their arms and get as fully covered as quickly as possible. Those are the sorts of things we can do so that at 80%, we are in relatively good shape but it's likely to be 90% before we can really relax to any significant extent. So if I want my happy ending, it, it has to really be a happy ending for everyone. You've got you to you work for it. Okay. Well, you heard the doctor. Go out and get a vaccine this weekend if you can, but that's all we've got for Coronacast this week. We'll catch you on Monday. See you then. <laughs>